Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, hey, you probably know this and maybe you don't, but there was a time where Jesus was asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, seizing the opportunity to give a living picture, a demonstration of what the kingdom is like, looked past the Pharisees, looked past the Sadducees, the priests, the scribes, the really good religious people. And scripture says he had a little child come and stand in their midst and said, the kingdom of heaven looks like this. And I just love how we get to experience the kingdom of God in a, in a new and a unique way when we have children with us in the service. They're now kind of spread out throughout the service with their parents, but a lot of what I want to talk about today, kids, this is for you. And adults, you can listen in as well. But this is going to be mostly for our kids today. I want us to go to Acts chapter 12, and on your way there, I'll, I'll stop at one other place. But Acts chapter 12 is going to be kind of the text for us today, and I want to lead you into this text with some background, some, some idea of what's transpiring ahead of the events that we're going to look at. The, the church is booming and growing. In fact, thousands at a time are coming to faith. They're beginning to parcel themselves out into homes for the reading of scripture, for prayer, to feed one another. In fact, some were even selling properties because there were poor among them that they wanted to bless. The kingdom of God is exploding onto the scene. And in a place called Antioch, for the first time, there is a picture of both Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus worshiping together. And in that context, diversity, unlike people coming together to worship God, the people of Antioch said, you know what these people are? They're Christians. For the first time, the word Christian was applied to followers of Jesus. It meant little Christ, little Jesuses. That, that was how much the early church reminded people of who Jesus was. So the, the believers have just recently picked up this nickname called Christians, and now we're coming into Passover. And as the kingdom of God is growing and exploding on the scene, the leaders of the day are going to do everything they can to quell it, to squash it, to push it down. And so right around Passover time, the first of the 11 disciples after Judas, the other 11, the first of the 11 is executed. James, the brother of John. 10 of the other 11 would eventually also lose their life for the gospel. They would also go to their end claiming not only that they believed in somebody named Jesus, but that they had experienced the risen Jesus, touched him, seen him with their own eyes. And they went to their death claiming that it was true. James is going to be the first here in the book of Acts. And right around the time that we get into Acts chapter 12, Herod, who's the leader of the area, realizes that when he had James executed, the people in the area went, we want some more of this. We want more disciples, more followers of Jesus executed. And so what does Herod do? He goes out and gets the ringleader, Peter, and sticks him in prison. And as Peter is awaiting his execution in Acts chapter 12, we get this detail that while Peter was kept in prison, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. 
So Peter's put in prison. The church doesn't complain. They don't write letters to the editor. They don't take to social media. They pray. They say, God, would you deliver Peter back to us? We have more work to do, more kingdom to build. They're earnestly praying on behalf of Peter. You know, prayer was the secret sauce in the early church. And I want to take just a second. It's not the main uh, point of the message, but I do want to highlight this, that nothing happens in the book of Acts without prayer. Jesus said to those same disciples in John 15, he said, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you're going to be very fruitful. You're going to do a lot of good. But if you do not remain in me, you'll bear no fruit. In fact, you can do nothing apart from me. And sadly, for a lot of churches, we've gotten really good at, at doing apart from Jesus, but there's no real spiritual fruit because nothing happens without the move of God. So the early church understands that and they go to God in prayer. Um, Acts chapter 3 verse 6 is an example of this. Even though prayer is not explicitly named, uh, there, there's this uh, crippled man sitting at the gate and he comes by. He asks Peter and John, in this case, for, a, for, for money Listen to what Peter says. He says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Leave that there for just a second. This is, this is the power that the early church possessed. Peter goes, look, I don't have anything in my pockets, but what I do have is the power of God made manifest to heal you. So get up and walk and man walks. The story is told and no one knows if it's real or anecdotal at this point. But the story is told of one of the popes who was showing off to Thomas Aquinas, one of the church fathers, showing off all of the wealth of Rome. As they walked down the street, he said, look at this church and look at this cathedral and look at these gates. And the pope said, you know, remember Peter and that silver or gold I don't have. He said, well, no longer does the church have to say we don't have silver or gold. To which Thomas Aquinas replied, yes, and neither can the church anymore say in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. See, the church over time sacrificed the power of God for material wealth. And in it lost sight that prayer is the currency of the kingdom. And so what we're going to see today is a manifestation of the power of prayer. Acts chapter 12, uh, I'm going to read this whole passage and then kind of break it down. Acts 12, beginning at verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring Peter out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries were before the door guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off Peter's hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And Peter did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so Peter went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Now, when they, they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12. And so when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were what? Praying. And when uh, he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. 
They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, no, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the other brothers. And then he departed, and he went to another place. Now this passage, um, and, and Nikki asked me earlier in the week, we've got outlines for the kids. And kids, I think you have those. Do your elementary kids have your outlines that you're able to, to look at? Okay, so they've got some fill in the blanks that they're going to be doing. So Nikki said, hey, I, I need a title. Can you give me a title? I don't title messages. This was something I, I remember my, my dad's generation always had these really clever titles. The last time I remember personally naming a series, it was called like, uh, salt water, fresh fish, and a guy who called Jesus brother or something. It was like really bizarre. And they, and they were like, no, 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 that, that's not a good title, you know? Um, and so I don't, but, but I, I'm like, well, what if I had to title the message? And so this is what we've decided to title the message. Opportunity knocks. Opportunity knocks. The, the villain in this story is obvious because you've got this guy, Herod, who's a madman trying to snuff out the church. But the hero in the story is a little bit surprising. And here's why I think it's surprising. Peter is the central figure in the story, but he's not the hero. In fact, you see Peter playing this really passive role. Commentators have, have noted how humorous the account is. The angel strikes him in his side. Like, it's like, boom, dude, get up and move quickly. And then he literally is walking Peter through every step of the process. I can just imagine Peter, he's in a prison cell, and remarkable that he's sleeping. Talk about the peace of God. <laughs> he's sleeping the day before his, his uh, execution. And the angel's like, Do now, now put on your clothes, Peter. Okay, now put on your sandals, Peter. Now follow me, Peter. And it's a humorous account of what is transpiring. Peter's not the hero. The hero is a little less obvious. I, I actually think the hero is a little girl, a servant girl, whose name is Rhoda. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about the place of children in God's redemptive story. I alluded to one earlier. I want to read the text for you now. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn or change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Earlier this week at our last men's group, a few of us were sitting at the table and we were talking about, I don't even remember what, and we got onto the way that children process things and, and the way children see the world. And one of my guys said, you know, children are model citizens, aren't they? And I said, they are until they're not. And if you have children, you know how that goes. But there are ways in which children model for us citizenship in God's kingdom. So I want to answer this question. What is it about children that makes them model citizens of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God? And I want to answer that by demonstrating a few realities that are true for this servant girl, Rhoda, this young girl. We don't know her exact age, but we know she's young enough to be called a servant girl. She's a child. And there's three things that are going on with her that are unique in her context. Number one is this. She heard what others couldn't hear. She heard what others couldn't hear. I don't know if you know this, but children do experience the world a little differently than adults. I'm going to give you some illustrations of this. When I see a puddle, 
I see a hazard to be avoided. You're laughing because I have children. Children see something very different, right? This is opportunity for a child. Uh, when I see this in my backyard, it's cute, right? But I see a nuisance to the garden that my wife is trying to grow. Like we're like always clapping them out of the garden. You know, my kids see something different, right? Though they see a potential pet. They've like, they've like given these creatures names. They see the world differently. Or what about this one? I see here a man who's ready to take on the world. But if that's my five-year-old and I'm dressed like that, he sees that daddy's not ready to wrestle yet. Right? They just experience the world differently. And in a lot of ways, children are more tuned into the world than we are because they live in the here and now rather than the there and then. They just look at the world and they experience it as it is. They're not weighed down by retirement accounts or weekend plans or to-do lists. I'm always amazed when my five-year-old asks me, Dad, what's tomorrow? <laughs> because he has no idea. He doesn't know if it's church or school. Right? He's, he's not even until it's, he's ready to embark. And then it's what's going on here today. It's whatever's right before him. You know, the Buddhists claim to have a corner on the market of this idea. They, they have a concept called be here now, be here now. But did you know that far before, long before the Buddhists were saying be here now, Jesus gave us this exact same concept, uh, the, the power of presence. Matthew chapter six, verses 31 to 34, Jesus' great sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Can we stop for a second? This is what some of you need to hear today. Don't worry about it. Slow down. Take a deep breath. God is in control. Children can model for us the pace and the rhythm of life that simply trusts a good father to provide for the needs of the day. I'm struck in Acts chapter 12 by the fact that all of the people in the home, all of these disciples and their wives and the other women, they're all praying for the release of Peter. But it is only the servant girl, Rhoda, who is listening for God's answer to the prayer. She's the only one who heard the knock at the door. And I think it's because of this, the second thing we see here with Rhoda, she believed what others wouldn't believe. Verse 14 tells us that she recognized Peter's voice. Now, we don't know exactly why this is, but Peter and John Mark have a connection, and this is John Mark's home. Uh, you may not know that the book of Mark is written by this same John Mark, and most people believe that Peter was his source. So John Mark is not one of the 12 following Jesus. Peter is, and Peter's telling John Mark, and he's writing these things down. Some believe there was even a familial connection. They were cousins or something. So it makes sense that Peter would go to the home of John Mark and his mother, and Rhoda, as a member of the household, probably would have been very familiar with Peter. So she hears the knock, she runs, she hears his voice, and gets so excited she leaves him at the door. Now, this is a critical mistake. Do you remember when the angel shows up, what he, what he says to Peter? He says, get up and move quickly, right? 
Like when you've escaped or been delivered from prison, people are looking for you. So we want Rhoda to open the door, but this isn't what children do. Children get so excited that they're easily distracted. She didn't consider any other possibility than that God had answered her prayer. She believed what the others were not able to believe. She heard the voice of prayer and said, our uh, voice of Peter rather, and said, our prayers have been answered. So Peter is still standing at the door knocking. She goes back to the other adults and, and notice their response, how different it is from the child's. Verse 15, their initial response, you are out of your mind. Now think about this. These were strong believers. These were disciples. Some of these were apostles who had followed Jesus personally. And when the answer to their prayer comes, they go, there is no way that's what happened. You're crazy. Peter's in prison. He's not standing at the door. She believed what they were not willing to believe. Let me make a quick aside be very careful about dismissing the account of a child. Man, we live in a world that is severely broken and children need us to be their allies and their advocates. It doesn't mean everything that a child ever says is true, but everything a child says matters and needs to be investigated because there's reasons. Sometimes it is the actual account that is true. Sometimes it's evidence that something else is going on that needs our attention, but listen, and pay attention when children speak. So first, you're out of your mind, Rhoda, and then they kind of come around and go, well, maybe you heard his angel. This is interesting to me because it leads me to a couple of observations. One, apparently, dreams and visions and angels were kind of normal parts of the events of the early church. Like, they're like, well, maybe his angel's at the door. I've never had that thought. Like, I've never seen one of you at the grocery store and gone, oh, that's her angel. You know, I've never think like that, but, but they're thinking like, well, maybe some supernatural event is happening. We can't believe it's the answer to the prayer we were praying, but it could be something else supernatural. The other observation is simply this. These people were, I don't want to burst your bubble. I'm going to brace yourself. These people were human, right? They're human. It's the same response the disciples themselves had. Mary comes, hey, Jesus has risen from the dead. I saw him. And they're like, no, I, don't, I can't believe that. Can't believe it. I got to see it with my own eyes. Remember doubting Thomas? I got to put my hand in his side. I got I to experience. I'm not going to believe it just because of the account. By the way, Jesus could have chosen spiritual people. He, he could have chosen people that easily gravitated to the supernatural. He chose skeptics. He chose fishermen, tax collectors, people that exchanged and kept accounts and used their hands because he wanted to demonstrate that what was happening was real. It wasn't religious. It was historical facts unfolding in the lives of blue-collared people who would go and say, I can't believe what I just experienced. So these people are human, and we should give them a little bit of grace here because how many times has God answered our prayer? And we went, there's got to be some other explanation. How often do we do that? Rhoda was different. Rhoda, this servant girl, imagined prayer not as a spiritual exercise to take part in, but as a conversation with God in which an answer is expected. She expected God to answer that prayer. Jesus set us up for this in Matthew chapter seven with these words, Matthew seven, seven through 11. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
of which, or which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you are a parent of young children, you know you are asked questions all the time. And children naturally expect that when they ask for things like a meal or a cup of water or help with the toothpaste, that dad, mom, grandparent, or caregiver is going to meet the need. They're not fretting going, oh, no, no, no. If dad doesn't fix me a meal, what will I do? They've seen dad fix meals. They've seen mom fix meals. And it's their expectation that parents give good gifts. Jesus says, look, this is the expectation of children of broken, fallen, sinful human beings. How much more will your father in heaven give you good gifts? How much more will he answer your prayers? This servant girl, Rhoda, heard what others couldn't hear. She believed what others would not believe. And third, she accomplished what others did not accomplish. It's kind of just a footnote in the text. It says that Peter then went on from there. But that moment where he needed to be believed was paramount and it was crucial. That servant girl, recognizing his voice, reporting that he was released from prison, allowed him to be brought into the home, into the fellowship, and then Peter goes on and continues the work that God gave him to do. Now, very interestingly, the narrative and acts at this point is going to shift away from Peter and toward who? Do you know? Toward the Apostle Paul. So this is the last time in the book of Acts, at least, where Peter is the central figure. And who is it that's opening the door for him, that's setting up the opportunity, that's helping Peter get on to the work God's called him to do, is this young servant girl named Rhoda, a seemingly insignificant person. This young girl had everything in culture going against her. Every part of who she is, from age to gender to social condition, in her context, was a strike against her. And yet she had the faith to believe that God can use what the culture calls insignificant people. She stepped in to that moment. She accomplished a great thing. See, we look at a person like Rhoda and we might see disqualifications, but it is exactly these disqualifications that so often qualify people in the kingdom of God. Jesus seems so prone to look at the margins. It's why when he begins his ministry, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim deliverance for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is looking for what the culture calls the unqualified. We see this so clearly in an unqualified group of people in a place called Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29, Paul writes this, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. See, it's not an accident that it was this servant girl, Rhoda, who responded to the knock at the door. She was prepared, she was ready, and God chose her, I believe, to play this significant part in the story. And because she was listening for God's answer and believed for God's deliverance, she was able to accomplish something great. Just like a young girl in an obscure place called Bethlehem who was chosen to give birth to the Son of God. Just like a five times divorced woman from the hated village of Samaria 
who was chosen to lead the first great Christian revival in the Gospels. Just like a little boy with a small bag of groceries, five loaves, two fish, who was used to feed 5,000. Just like a woman with a bad reputation who was selected to be the first witness of the resurrection and told to proclaim the resurrection to her brothers. This is the way of God. This is why God esteems children and lifts them up. Because in children, we can see the glory of God made manifest, not in those that we esteem as strong and able and intellectual, but in those who are deemed weak. And Jesus says, these are the ones who are strong. I want to close with a word to our kids. And I think we're kind of spread out everywhere. So I'm going to kind of just pan the room for a second. Kids, I want to speak to you for just a minute. I told you that I was titling this message, Opportunity Knocks. Remember me saying that? Do you know there's another place though, kids, in the New Testament where there is a knock at the door? And it's a little different. It's not Peter knocking at the door. It's actually Jesus knocking at the door. And one of Jesus' disciples, John, tells us the knock. He he says Jesus' words, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone, man, woman, or child, would open the door, I'll come in and I'll have fellowship with him or with her and I will eat with them. Kids, I want you to know that there is another knock that's so important. See, it was Rhoda, this young servant girl. She heard the knock when Peter was delivered from prison and she opened the door. But there's another knock that every child in this room and every child watching online has the opportunity to respond to. And it's the knock of Jesus on the door of your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And kids, some of you, I've prayed this morning, I prayed last night, I prayed that some of you today would be the day where you open the door of your heart and say, Jesus, I want you to come in. I want to be your child. Like we sang about, I I want my sins to be forgiven. Jesus came all the way from heaven. Remember, Peter was delivered from a prison. Jesus came all the way from heaven, gave his life on a cross. And when he died, kids, he was covering the penalty of your sin. He was inviting you into relationship with God. And the Bible says that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. That if you will simply confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, that he will come in and be exactly that to you, your Lord and your Savior. So here's what I'm going to do, kids. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to encourage you later this morning, maybe right after the service or this afternoon, to talk with your mom, your dad, your grandparent, your caregiver. Say, hey, when Pastor Chris was talking about opening the door of my heart, I want to do that. I want to let Jesus in and allow them to walk you through what it means to become a child of God by faith. And now, church family, would you pray with me as we pray over these children? Father God, we thank you for your good gift. God, I remember being four years old. I remember being nine years old. I remember being 15 years old. And I remember hearing those knocks on the door of my heart. And God, in your grace, you you brought me to yourself. You gave me the, the strength. You gave me the faith to open that door to you. And God, I know there are some children in this room, uh, God, who, who that's their point of decision today. That They're at that place where they hear you knocking, not with their ears, but in their heart. They know you're there. They feel your presence there. And I pray they'd open the door just like Owen did. We got to see that this morning in baptism, just like Owen did. Just like this servant girl Rhoda had done. God, that they would open the door of their heart and let you be their Lord and their Savior. 
God, I believe there's other boys and girls in this room who 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, they're gonna be on stages like this preaching the gospel and proclaiming the word of God. They're gonna be leading our church in worship. They're gonna be running businesses. They're gonna be starting not-for-profits. They're gonna be in places of government that are making key decisions that bring the kingdom of God to bear in greater ways. Lord, I pray that you would raise up these children in our midst, these kids, to be mighty warriors in the kingdom of God. Help us steward that. Help us shepherd them in the way they should go. Give grace to their parents, their caregivers, their teachers. Give grace to us as leaders in this church. Lord, let us see the kingdom of God manifest through them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.